Hey everyone, great to be with you guys. Um, goodness, um, don't you love it when you're singing and then something happens that no human being could orchestrate? Like God comes into the room and he just has a way of um, touching our lives. That, I actually had a cousin uh, who came to church a few weeks ago and he hasn't been in church for many years. But when he was a teenager, he went to a church uh, that was particularly marked for a season by a powerful outpouring of the Spirit. And he says, you know, as a kid, he went to this church as a teenager and he got saved, not only by the preaching the gospel, but by the tangible sense of God's presence in the room. And he says he hasn't had that feeling until he came to our church a few weeks ago. And I just thought that was really encouraging. Uh, I'm also wondering if maybe those of you that are new to church or back in church after a long time, uh, sometimes you look around in the world, it's hard to believe that there's a God. And um, we're a community where we pray and hope that you would find God in our midst. And uh, um, today I'm speaking about how to ask God for gifts. I'm speaking about the power of prayer. And I think about some of my non-Christian friends who say, all your talk about answered prayer, it's just coincidences. And I prayed, and then this happened. It's just coincidences. And what I normally tell my friends is, uh, yeah, that's funny. The more I pray, the more coincidences happen. And uh, that's where we get the idea. Like, it's not a coincidence. It's a God incidence. So I'm speaking today about how to ask God for, for um, gifts. Um, we have something called nightclubs, which is our name for small groups or home groups. And if you're not part of one, they're kind of winding up many of them this year already. There is space for you if you still want to go to one. But in February, we're going to go big on nightclubs again. And uh, so hang around. There's more to this church than a Sunday meeting. There's the possibility of building community. Myself and Mandy have been leading a nightclub. And we've got 10 or 12 people there in an event. It's just been so special getting to know these people. And there's lots of us. So, um, so there's more to the church than just this meeting. It's so important that we build relationships with each other. That you find some people that you're on the journey with. Pilgrims. Fellow sojourners. So let me speak about prayer. Um, when I became a Christian, I was 16 years old. And my mother wasn't a Christian. She thought I'd gone off the edge. And I prayed lots. God, please save my mom. God, please save my mom. And my goodness, he didn't seem to be doing anything. Once I even got her to a church service where this evangelist, evangelist means the person who like tells the gospel and tries to get people, Christians, in the meeting. He was speaking. And, uh, and he said, hey, anyone want to become a Christian? Put up your hand. I looked around. My mom's hand wasn't down. And I was like, I was enough. Sorry. And I was like, oh. And then this evangelist did something completely, uh, actually wrong. It's manipulative. But this, I'll tell you what he did. He says, everyone put up your hands. And if you don't want to be saved, put them down. How's that for manipulation? So I was like, okay, well, I suppose that, that'll get my mom. She put her high hands down. I was like, so, I was like, oh, I finally got into church. And that was, oh, not even manipulation worked on her. But I'll tell you, in that same meeting, I had an experience of God. I was praying, God, please Save my mom, come into her life. Save my mom, come into life. I started crying. I just was overcome with desperation that God would do this. Suddenly, I just this peace came over me and the words came over me. I am faithful and I will do it. 
I, honestly, from that point on, I, I didn't ask that God would save my mom. I thank God that he was going to save my mom. It was just a matter of time. And lo and behold, my mom did become a Christian. Uh, and, and I had some encouragement because there had been a much harder nut to crack before my mom. That was my younger brother. When I was 16 years old, my dad died of HIV AIDS. And my brother and I, and I lost our young dad. And six months later, I become a Christian. In a sense, my pain leads to my great joy. But my brother's pain led to him going down a dark hole. The friends who's hanging out with the stuff he's getting up to, he became a hard, dark person. When I became a Christian, I used to pray, God, please save my brother. And I pray, the more I prayed for him, the worse he got. So eventually I stopped praying for him. I was so overcome with the impossibility of the situation. He could never become a Christian. Never. Could never happen. And... Um, and uh, I stopped praying. And then, and then I remember someone coming up to me at church and saying, your brother Ryan. So I went, yes. She says, I feel God giving me faith that he's going to become a Christian. I couldn't believe what you're saying. I was, Her faith gave me faith. A week later, another person in Durban who didn't even ask me about my brother. And he said, do you have a brother? And I said, yes. And he said the same thing. I was like, okay. I'm starting to change from not believing to believing. I'll come back to my brother's salvation at the end. But... Some good stuff happened. I'm meant to be preaching through Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 today. Because we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. That as I was busy looking at these verses, my eyes kept on dragging up to a few verses before. A few weeks ago, Sipo Kazi preached in Matthew 7 verses 7 to 11. Beautiful message about prayer. And especially she honed in on um, when God doesn't answer prayer. And, And then gave the beautiful testimony of, you know, God... Delaying doesn't mean that he hasn't come through for us. Sometimes we just got to trust his ways and his times. And she spoke about the trauma sometimes of an unanswered prayer. And I just found there was a really beautiful message that came from a, a transformed life. But I want to go over those verses again. Because we've just done in many nightclubs this theme on prayer. I thought I also want to say some stuff on that. So I'm going back to some verses we've already preached on if that's okay. Matthew chapter 7, let me read them to you, verses 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you, says Jesus. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, those who seek find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good, good gifts to those who ask him? So I'm going to answer the question from this passage, how to ask God for gifts, how to ask God for gifts. And I managed to find six things in there. Some of them I sort of squeezed in a little. So it's, it's preacher's license. You're allowed to like squeeze things into your passage. Like the first one. Here we go. Don't just stand there. Pray something. There's a book called Don't Just Pray There, Stand Something. I never read the book. I didn't need to. It's like. Don't just stand there. Did I say that? Don't just pray there. Don't just... For those of you listening to this message. Don't just stand there. Pray something. It's the name of a book. It's a book title that you're like, oh, I don't need to read that book. I get the message. I'll never forget. I've never forgotten it. And then think how often every day you're just standing there. Don't just stand there. Pray something. And notice Jesus' words. There's a, prayer has a lot of asking in it. I mean, worship, singing is a form of prayer. Thanking God is a form of prayer. Saying sorry for things we've done wrong is a, a form of prayer. 
being in God's presence itself is a form of prayer. But, but right at the heart of prayer is asking. Asking is a major part of prayer. And Jesus uses those words, ask, seek, knock. James chapter 4 says, we have not because we ask not. We have not because we ask not. So what does ask mean? Ask means that we should come to God um, humbly and aware of our need. Seek connects one's prayer with the pursuing of the will of God. And knock stands for a little bit of energy, some, some passion, some perseverance. And the Bible is full of instructions to do some asking. Jeremiah 33, call to God and he will answer you. Luke 18, always pray and do not give up. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray constantly. Colossians 4, devote yourself to prayer. Philippians 4, make your requests known. Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. Do you believe that the devil is real? And prove he is. Try pray. <laughs> and to see how many things will distract you from that moment. Martin Luther says, getting ourselves to the point of praying often causes us distress and anguish. The devil sometimes snatches us from our prayer and makes us so dizzy that we do not even think of praying. By the time you begin praying, you've already tortured yourself half to death. Satan is well aware of what prayer achieves and can do. That is why he creates so many obstacles and disturbances to keep you from getting round to it. The devil doesn't want you to pray, but your heavenly father most definitely does want you to pray. He uses repetition, Jesus does. He hammers into us the fact that the father waits for and responds to our prayer. Our father delights in hearing and responding to our heartfelt and our faithful prayers. Ask, seek, knock. For whoever asks, whoever seeks, whoever knocks. I mean, that's a lot of repetition. The father wants you to pray. Don't just stand there. Pray something. When can you pray? I'll just give you six quick ideas. In your own life, you can pray. Just you as a person. You could have set times. You could be a person that says, you know what? I'm going to actually like pray on Tuesday mornings. Some of you can say, I'm actually going to pray every night for 15 minutes. Like Find your set times. And then also some snatched times. So it's not in your calendar, but you're going through a day and you spot a gap. Julie, who, if I can just be honest, is not a person who takes naturally to rhythms of discipline, has taken to, am I allowed to do confessions for your spouse? She's personality type, it's the way she is. But she's got into going to Kirstenbosch mornings uh, after dropping kids at school and just spending time with God. And those are snatched times. And, and then you can also just pray on the go. You know, when you're in the car, when you're in the toilet. I know. Don't just go to your phone the whole time. Go to prayer. You, you can also pray when you're chatting to someone. Especially if you're chatting to a Christian friend and you're sharing some struggle or something. Right at the end, just go, hey, would you mind if we just quickly pray? Just there and then, just pray. Quick, quick. If you're in a restaurant, you don't have to get all weird and close your eyes. Just keep your eyes open. Look natural. I used to, I used to lead teams of Christian workers going into school and then we would have a time of prayer. And these guys would all start like looking like they were praying. I said, don't look like you're praying. Just pray. Because like, these kids watching you. We're about to visit these kids. You could pray with your spouse, with your friends, with your family. Just saying that a couple that prays together stays together. If, you, if you're married, when last did you pray together? The quickest way to get into each other's hearts is through hearing their prayers. It's amazing how you find each other when you pray to the Father together. Keith and Joy, my wife's wonderful parents, and the grandparents of my five children, are in the habit of every morning praying. Ask them how many of their children... 
And how many of their grandchildren are interested in Jesus? All of them! Now, we obviously know it's God's mercy, so I'm not saying. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that Keith and Joy pray for their kids and their grandkids, like, all the time. Uh, You could also come 30 minutes earlier on a Sunday, pray. God poured out His Spirit this morning, if you noticed. Did you, did you, you realize that there were some people beforehand going, God, pour out your spirits. <laughs> it could be one of the people asking God for what he's about to do. And, and, then, and then as we're singing together, we're praying, we're worshiping, we're ministering to each other, we're praying. So there's lots of places where you can pray. Second thing that we learn from this passage, believe that prayer really does change things. Believe that prayer really does change things. Jesus promises that your prayers will result in answers. And he gives no less than six promises in these two short verses. He wants us to pray with great confidence. Michael Eaton says, God has simply ordained that his blessings, which he has already lined up, come peace at a time as we pray. So instead of being paralyzed by the mystery of prayer, let us start to pray. Um, There's a book called The Divine Conspiracy. The author writes this. There is a wrong theology that presents God as having a great unblinking stare, who never in the smallest respect changes his mind about what he's going to do. But our requests really do make a difference in what God is and is not going to do. I don't know what universe you think you're living in, but if I understand the Bible right, we are not living in a closed universe where all is predecided and our part is merely to fatalistically accept God has given us agency in the progression of our personal and our national histories. God invites his people to collaborate in the outcome of events. So we can uh, believe that prayer really does change things. And then number three, what do we learn from this passage? Take hold of your father's goodness. Take hold of your father's goodness. And And I get this from this line that I remember reading years ago. Prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance as much as it's about taking hold of His willingness. Prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance as much as it's about taking hold of His willingness. And listen to the words again. Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? By the way, if you didn't know, Jesus has a sense of humor. Uh, do, do you remember the last time uh, um, he was preaching? Was it you? It was, it, was, it, was, it was Jen. It was Jen before. Spoke about the plank in the eye. I mean, that, the people would be laughing. Jesus would have a smile on his face. Someone's trying to take a little splinter out of someone's eye, but they got this like piece of wood sticking out of their skull. It's like, get the thing out of your eye before you, of any use to anyone. Well, here's the second bit of humor. He says, so, so picture it. Dad, your son comes to you and says, Dad, I'm so hungry. I'd love some like a, a tuna mayo on toast, fish and bread, you know. So the father goes to the, goes to the um, pantry, sees the tuna and the bread, but then he has an idea. He says, wait, son. He goes outside and he finds a garden snake and a rock. And he ties the snake around this rock and he puts it in a bowl and he says, Yes, yes, your tuna may sorry, son. And the son opens it up. He's like, Ah! Oh, that's what he's basically doing here. (laughs) Jesus insists it would never happen. He says, Even the worst dad wouldn't do that to their child. 
Even the worst dad wouldn't do that to their child. And notice that Jesus doesn't compare the father with earthly parents. He contrasts the father with earthly parents. He takes the best earthly parents and he says the father would not. In other words, you multiply the best earthly parent you can think of by you know, infinity. And then you get closer to the kind of father that, that God is. And Jesus is saying, be convinced of the goodness of your heavenly father. And by the way, here we've got an answer to a question that philosophers have grappled with. If God already knows what we need, and he's able to give it to us, why do we need to ask for it? And uh, I think there's something that a parent quickly discovers. It feels quite wonderful when a little human comes to you and says, Mom, please can I have... You're honored in the asking. You feel quite special that they would ask. You're delighted that you're able to give. In other words... God has set it up because he's he set up prayer to make things happen because he's a parent who likes to be asked. He likes to be asked. Fourth thing we learn, pray with perseverance and passion. Pray with perseverance and passion. Uh, I know we, we read earlier and, uh, and uh, I think it was um, Jesse who preached on this in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Uh, but but that, Jesus is not saying that, that the problem there is that these people are getting worked up into you know, some energy. He's saying that they're praying non-relationally. They are praying manipulative prayers. They're turning prayer into some kind of magic where you say the right formula and you make the right incantation. If you jump up enough a few times, you could somehow get God's attention. So that's not what the Father Jesus is speaking about. But there is something to be said about persevering in prayer and passionately praying. In light of the fact that your Father knows what you need. In light of the fact that you're taking hold of His goodness. Because look carefully at Jesus' words here. When the answer to prayer doesn't come immediately, Jesus is basically saying, intensify your prayer. So Michael Eaton says, Jesus instructs, ask, seek, knock. Are there three ways of saying the same thing? Michael Eaton says, I don't think so. When one asks and no answer seems to come, one seeks. When one seeks and still no answer comes, one gets more desperate and begins to knock on the door more urgently. There is progress here. This is Jesus' way of telling us to persevere if the answer does not come speedily. As one old devotional writer put it, if only we had remained longer at the palace door, we might have seen the king come out with a benediction in his face and a gift in his hand. In that one song we sang, can we be here longer? It's quite an interesting lyric in the middle of a song, but it's, it's a good one. It's like, hang on, we love your presence. Um, so what's, that, what's the rush here? <laughs> why, why do you want to leave so quickly? Many of our passionless prayers are not answered. It's as if we ask God to care about something we care little or nothing about. God values persistence and passion in prayer because they show that we share his heart. It shows that we care about the things he cares about. I get that from uh, uh, David Guzik. And then Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher, he puts it in a, a vivid picture. He's a master of metaphor. He says, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the person who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. 
Jesus teaches us to ask, seek and knock. Each verb is a grade higher in intensity. The Bible has many stories of people wrestling God's blessing out of his hands. I mean, Moses argues with God. Job lashes out at God with a pained heart for the trial he undergoes. Jacob engages in an all-night wrestling match with God that leaves him with a, with a limp. Even Jesus struggled with God in his will in Gethsemane. Here we see a God who welcomes negotiation and even arguments from his people. He desires passion, not platitudes, when we pray. How are you guys doing out there? You feeling like, motivated to pray more? Yeah, yeah, me too. I think we need a message like this like every six weeks. It's amazing how quickly you forget to pray. Uh, Number five, ask for both creator and redemption gifts. Ask for both creator and redemption gifts. So Jesus says God gives us good gifts. Um, By the way, this also gives a little bit of an answer to the question. Hang on, I asked God for something and he didn't give it to me. And of course, this is a big mystery. And uh, you know that prayer course? Well, he's created another course, the, the unanswered prayer course. So he grapples with the unanswered prayer. But something I could say quite simply is just because we think we're asking for something, it might not be good, actually. It might seem good to us. If one of my kids comes to me and says, Dad, I want a Porsche. I mean, like eight years old. Like, Dad, I know this is going to be good for me. You know, what kind of father would give him a Porsche? Because it would destroy him. Mind you, before I met Julie, there were lots of people I was begging God for. <laughs> I probably would have destroyed those people, never mind myself. Anyway, I don't know if you're allowed to ask God for someone. Hey, I mean, that's, that's, that's going into somebody else's space. They need to choose for themselves. They didn't need supernatural manipulation. Hey? Uh, if we ask for a stone or a snake, he will decline. He won't, he, he won't decline or he'll give us something, but not exactly what we requested. So what good gifts are we meant to ask for? for there's a famous author and pastor who's now deceased, John Stott. He tells us that Jesus urges us to ask for redemption gifts, not just creator gifts. Redemption gifts, not just creator gifts. What are creator gifts? Creator gifts are the gifts he gives to everyone, even those who don't know him. Uh, you know, all the people driving the cars, they're getting, we're all getting creative gifts. Living in Cape Town is one giant creative gift in itself. Oxygen, water, food, clothing, friendship, pleasures, opportunities to learn and grow and work. The beach, the mountain, vineyards, the beach. Did I mention the beach before? Waves, <laughs> surfing, the beach, those kind of things. Uh, theologians call this common grace. It's all that God gives to all of his creatures whether they realize he is the source or not. Matthew 5, Jesus speaks about how God causes the sun and the rain to fall upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. Can we ask for creative gifts? Of course we can in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But I suspect that God hands out creative gifts to people who are not asking for them. I think where God's people should especially specialize when it comes to creative gifts is thanking him for them. I think God's people should be slightly different from the average person because they're far more grateful for the creative gifts that keep coming their way. But don't just ask for creative gifts. Ask for redemption gifts. See, over and above the creative gifts, there's something called special grace. 
redemption gifts. These come not so much from God as our creator, but from God as our father. They come through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. God's redemption gifts are different to his creator gifts. For example, God does not give salvation to everyone, but only to those who call on the name of the Lord and ask for it. Just a question. Have you yet called on the name of the Lord for your salvation? Have you said, Jesus, I trust in you as my Lord. I trust in you, my service. Save me. Make me new. Come take me in. By the way, that's the most important prayer you could ever pray. Maybe if you haven't prayed it, you pray it today. But once salvation has come into your life, you could pray for daily forgiveness, deliverance from evil, peace, an increase of faith, hope and love, the closer walk with Christ and the Father, opportunities to serve and spiritually impact people, wisdom in decision making, finances need to underwrite kingdom ventures, protection from the enemy's attacks on us, our church and our loved ones, a greater boldness and effectiveness in sharing our faith with people. So, so what have we got so far? Five things we've already said. How to ask God for good gifts. Number one, don't just stand there. Pray something. Number two, believe that prayer really does change things. Number three, take hold of your Father's goodness. Number four, pray with perseverance and passion. Number five, ask for creative gifts and redemption gifts. And finally, especially pray in the Spirit and for the Spirit. Especially pray in the Spirit and for the Spirit. You go, hang on, Taryn, that's not in Matthew chapter 7, verse, what was it, 11. Yeah, but this is the cool thing about Bible study. In Luke's version of the story, he defines what the good gift is. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke's gospel. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke defines the ultimate good gift as more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So so especially pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Hey, having a prayer list can be really helpful. But you're not limited by like a mechanical approach to prayer. Prayer is putting yourself in a place of the Spirit where you might have things you want to get to, but you're asking the Holy Spirit how how, how to pray. How to pray about this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You're sensitive to the nudges, the promptings. You want to learn how to hear God? Pray for things close to God's heart. And notice the little burdens that are coming across your heart. The, the thoughts that are coming into your mind. God is, God's Spirit is giving you an angle in on this prayer. And then, and then especially pray for the Holy Spirit. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So we pray for a deeper experience of the Spirit's power. A greater manifestation of spiritual gifts in our lives. Do you know when Jesus came out of the water, we had just been baptized. It, we're told that He was praying. What was He praying? Most likely He was praying for what was about to happen next. The heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended upon Him. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon your life. His presence, His power. Signal Church, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Our gathered times. We, we, we long for this. A.W. Tozer says, In most Christian churches, the Spirit is quite entirely overlooked. Whether He is present or absent makes no real difference to anyone. Brief reference is made to Him in the doxology and the benediction. Further than that, He might as well not exist. Our neglect of the doctrine of the blessed third person has had... And is having serious consequences. For doctrine is dynamite. Oh, sorry. For doctrine to be dynamite, it must have emphasis 
sufficiently sharp to detonate it before its power is released. The doctrine of the Spirit is buried dynamite. Its power awaits discovery and use by the church. The Holy Spirit cares not at all whether we write Him into our creeds, in the back or in our hymnals. He awaits our emphasis. We ask for the Holy Spirit. We notice when the Holy Spirit comes. We notice when the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to come. And we ask for the the outpourings of the Spirit. We also ask for the spiritual gifts. Perhaps the most common evangelical approach to spiritual gifts is the one approach that simply cannot be defended from Scripture. We think to ourselves, yeah, no, the the miraculous gifts may come, but um, we're open to them, but then we shouldn't particularly pursue them. So in other words, like, yeah, yeah, we believe in the spiritual gifts. We believe in miracles. We're open to them. We won't mind if they come. Does that sound right? Spiritual gifts, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of supernatural assurance, prophecy, languages, interpretation, distinguishing spirit, healings, miracles. We're told explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. This requires we ask for it. We're not just open to the gifts. We're zealous for the gifts. Something would be wrong if I'm just open to times of closeness to my wife. And if they come, they come. I won't mind. No, no. I zealously pursue my wife. Sorry for all the times I don't. I actually say, this is what we keep talking about. I want you to do this. I need you. Come here. You take the mic. Say something about me. I've nailed my wife twice today. And the second one had nothing to do with reality. I'm just being playful because I got the mic. Judy's preaching next week, okay, so she's going to take me down. Hey, let, let, let me tell you um, what happened with my brother. My brother, I prayed for him to be saved, and I was given this faith. And then I remember actually having a chat with him. I tried a spiritual conversation. I said, hey, Ryan. No, 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 something about Jesus. I can't even remember my angle, but it felt natural and it was, it, it was opening. And he said, Karen, don't worry about me. I'm fine. That's what he said. I'm fine. And I was like, no, no, you know, I, I don't think you're fine. I don't think God thinks you're fine. You think you're fine? I'm going to keep praying for you. <laughs> but that's what, that's what he's feeling. A few weeks later, my brother started to act a bit weird. Not, not looking me in the eyes. I don't know why. And I uh, come home from uh, work because we're living in the same house, and, and I, the, room, the door of his room's open, and next to his bed, under his bed, is a Bible. Turns out he's met this girl, a really lovely girl, in camps back. And uh, he's interested in seeing her, and she says, hey, come hang out with me on Sunday afternoon, and then we can go to church together. I, I don't know any of this, I'm going to find out after that. Ryan goes to church with her, and he encounters the presence of God. Like my cousin, in fact, Ryan took my cousin to the same church. Both Ryan and my cousin have the same testimony of coming to faith by being in a space where God's presence was holy. That, that's what did it for him. And uh, Ryan becomes a Christian. But here's the thing. He doesn't want to tell me because he doesn't want me to think I have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to find out like, I'll buy the Bible and someone else tells me he's been going to church. 
But I just praise God for my brother's salvation. Yeah. I just praise God for my brother's salvation. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of my message. Can we have the balance? Yeah.